Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Big Boss Battles, Big Boss Babble. You know what, I'm going to make an aside here and say it's been 13 episodes now and I haven't messed that up yet, that's quite incredible. Uh, right, so with me this week we have uh, Dan. Hello. Hello. We've got George. Hello. And finally back with us we've got Toby. Hello, it's good to be back. Hey, excellent. Dan, Dan finally made his cue to say hello, kind of. I- I've said it every time. It's the recording software. Yeah, uh, that's right. Blame the recording software. Well, I got it right this time, didn't I? It's not like I forgot the word. <laughs> I don't think. Right, so, kicking off this week, uh, we're going to go over to George, and he's got a, an interesting story about the ESRB. Oh, I'm starting things off this week? Okay, cool. Um... So, <clears throat> ESRB basically released a new statement, basically kind of a new policy on how they're going to deal with physical copies. So, um, basically, they're going to be charging about $3,000, that's American, of course, uh, to small developers. Pretty much, they kind of made this new bracket of, of payments that these small developers will have to pay for them to have physical copies on the Switch, on the PlayStation, you name it, pretty much. And it's it's $3,000 to a small developer. That is quite a bit of money, so this has caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. Some people are raising eyebrows. Um, some people are cool with it. Some people are, you know, they're they're saying this is a good thing. Of course, there's a lot of arguments and sides and angles to look at this. But one thing I thought was particularly interesting is one question was, is do we even need the ESRB? Do we even need Peggy? Do we even need these rating boards anymore? Because we have Google now. There's really no excuse for ignorance when you can Google everything these days. Yeah, but it's it's not about Googling what's in a game or what is going to be considered, uh, you know, suitable for different ages. It's it's literally a legally binding rating system, like the BBFC in the UK that rates films. It's, sure, it's it's basically ingrained into law that things have to be rated or they can't be sold physically. Unrated, you know, you can get unrated movies and stuff now, but if a game, even if a game gets rated as adults only, you can't buy it. If it's unrated completely, it won't go anywhere. I see your point, but I mean, the SRB has only been around for like twenty years. Here, it wasn't always like that. No, but the games industry is obviously a hell of a lot bigger now. Yeah, and uh, and I I presume that before the RSB rated games in America, you had your film board rating them, much like we had over here. We had uh, sure, BBFC yeah. before we had Peggy. I mean, in the eyes of the government, a 16-rated film or a 16-rated game is as dangerous as selling a knife to a child. And that's obviously a very strange perception, but... It, it makes sense that you don't want to expose people of a certain age group to a certain thing. And so and so gating that content through age ratings, in my opinion, is required. I don't understand, however, why ERSB are suddenly trying to profit off of actually having games released. That's pretty ridiculous. How have they been funding themselves before now? Why do they suddenly want £3,000 off of every one of the games that releases physically when there's actually less games releasing physically than there ever has been and so i, I mean it's... i don't know really to be honest with you, how they've been funding themselves it, i think like i said i think this is a bit of a um i guess this is a cash grab i think there's really this this has been indie games have been going on physical releases for a while now and suddenly it's like oh now you got to pony up the dough though and uh you know i i I work with consumers like every day in my normal day job and I've never once heard a consumer or somebody who's picked up a game gone, Oh, there's an M on it. Now I can't buy this for my kid. Most of the time it's, Hey, I'm letting my seven year old or 12 year old play GTA five. You know, most I've never heard anybody stop, look at a letter on a game and decide not to buy it. I just, I've never heard that ever. It did happen. I used to work in retail and, and, or in games retail, and it did happen occasionally. Those ratings did take effect. It was with an older audience, uh, and generally it was kind of with grandparents or great-aunts or whatever. 
as opposed to the parent who came into the shop with a kid or the parent who was gift buying because they were simply buying something to tick it off a list. And uh, even when they had the kid present, or sorry, when they had the kids present, we needed to give them a big legal spiel saying kind of like, by the way, this is rated like this for a reason, it's because it contains this, 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 this. Think of it like an 18 rated film. You know, I can sell this to you. I can't I, sell this to the child. But blah, I mean, blah, 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 blah. let's let's just go into a hypothetical universe where this didn't exist. It's not like everything's going to descend into chaos. It's like, oh no, I'm suddenly buying porn because there's not a letter on this. People are going to still know what they're buying. I mean, it's not on. like we're, we're not going to descend into madness without a letter on a box. I don't know, right? You you say that, but let's let's take for example. Conker's Bad Fur Day. If you okay. were to look at the box of Conker's Bad Fur Day, what would you expect the game to be like? Or Naughty Bear. <laughs> as well. Conker's Bad Fur Day is a very deceptive looking game, to be fair, though. <laughs> exactly. But like, that's my point. Without that age rating being and, in that box, it could well, have been construed as a kid's game, when it clearly isn't. Okay, but how many people got Conker's Bad Fur Day anyways... Because it was deceptively looking. How many parents bought it for their kids without even looking at the rating because of that? That I mean, in, in the same argument you could use, you know, it's how many kids got to play this really over the top kind of derogatory game because it looked all child friendly. Wait, what do you mean derogatory? It had a singing poo monster. But... <laughs> Alright, well, I mean, I'm obviously a, 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 on a lonely island over here, so I, I just I, I thought it was an interesting <laughs> question over here no, it to is. ask. I mean, that is an interesting question. Uh, I do still think that, or sorry, I do think that if those ratings were suddenly dropped, though, gaming would become a big scapegoat again very, very quickly. People would say, oh, I bought this game for my six-year-old son, and he's going around stomping on prostitutes. <laughs> In know, the game, I'm hoping. Bought... <laughs> I mean, I, I remember when I was, I remember being a particular age and Reservoir Dogs being on TV and obviously late at night and blood everywhere and blah, 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 made me feel quite ill. I had no interest in watching it. A few years later, I was like, yeah, <laughs> well, you had to enjoy you it because you were in it. Ah, <laughs> uh, touche, touche. <laughs> Uh, and I remember watching, oh, I can't remember what it was now, uh, the Bruce Lee film that also had Chuck Norris in it, and it was an 18 rated one, and it was 18 rated for practically no reason. I think there was some blood in it, and someone got slightly decaffeinated. And so that, I was like, why is this rated 18? Uh, and going back and watching Reservoir Dogs, you're like, yeah, it's just a bit of syrup. But obviously when I was younger, I remember thinking, Ugh. And so there is a there is a reason for those for those age ratings, but I I understand what you mean regarding. Is there any point at the ERSB? I mean, ratings are important, but this right. this company that's now trying to profiteer from this, it's almost like they're trying to make themselves public enemy number one. What with this right. loot box stuff recently, and now charging money for indies, I I think positives could come from this. I do think we could see. Uh, new distributors and we could see new small indie friendly publishers coming out going you know what we'll front that money you know because we know we'll get it back because we love your game you know and so I, I think it could change the industry for the good but I do hate that it always takes some person trying to make a bunch of money for for something good to come of it you know yeah right so here's my wacky theory this is wacky theory 2a on why the ESRB have done this now <laughs> so obviously with the loot box things the ESRB came out and said it wasn't gambling even though it clearly is and I think yep. we discussed this that we, we believe that the ESRB is in the game industry's back pocket now you add on to the fact that also the game industry has for a while now been trying to push for a fully digital system obviously digital distribution has got a lot lot bigger uh, companies know that they can charge the same amount for digital copies than physical copies, therefore make more money. Um, I think it, it it is a case of the bigger companies paying ESRB to 
put forward these kind of things to stop more physical copies of indie games going out therefore limiting the amount of physical games overall and trying to push everything down into that dig digital distribution center where they can literally control anything and take things away from you even though you've paid for it and just completely screw over the consumer in the long term that, that's a very uh, alarming theory there i don't know if that's true but it's certainly a theory that that's kind of scary yeah, it's just it's, it's stuff like that that worries me a bit. Worries me because obviously I've seen the amount of games that will appear on Steam and then disappear, and the PlayStation Network and the Xbox uh, Live and things like that. You know, games that you've bought digitally just go away, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've got no recourse. You can't get your money back. You can't. You know, you've paid for basically at that point nothing. And it goes back to the the entirety of you know since the beginning of the industry, the old argument about whether you're owning the software. Or just owning a license to use the software and obviously we know what companies would prefer you to have as opposed to what users would prefer to have and that to me that's the most frightening thing about the digital future yeah it's a very good point I think that obviously a lot of collectors feel strongly you know in, in agreeing with that kind of mindset that when you have something physically, no one can take it away with you. Whereas digital licenses are just poof, they're gone. Yeah, and I think that that that's that's why physical copies will always be around. I think that's why we're always going to have people who want to own a disc or something equivalent, a chip or whatever have you, uh, for a long time to come. So yeah, I think that's you're completely right on that. But uh, you know, it's a very interesting subject because you know Dan brought up a good point. There is ways that this can go. There is ways this can be beneficial. This can make make a whole new business off of putting out physical games for indie games and that's that's more of a hot, hot, cup half full stance where i think terry you've taken a more hot, cup half empty type of stance and it's very interesting <laughs> cup cup rapidly decreasing <laughs> right yeah cup cup, uh, cup is cup full of acid <laughs> cup structural integrity collapsing yeah i'm down to the dregs where you can't get out of a straw at the moment when it comes to the industry <laughs> I just think the SRB is pointless. I think we should just get get rid of this archaic system. But that's just me. I'm for anarchy. I they guess. won't do it because the reason the ESRB and Peggy and things came about is because the governments couldn't be asked to do it anymore. But law required there to be a rating system. So they won't go away unless someone someone else steps in or the government start doing it themselves. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the government getting involved. Anarchy. You should do it. Yeah. But anyway, that's be... enough of that. That's that's quite a heavy subject, and no doubt it will come up again in the future. But now, as he's been away for the last few weeks, we'll go over to Toby to talk about the uh, recent acquisition of Respawn. Yes, so this week, Respawn Entertainment, which has done Titanfall, and I think... Have they actually done anything else? Titanfall uh, 2. Not, not as, not as <laughs> very good. Uh, not as Respawn, but the founders were the people who made the Medal of Honor series and oh, yeah. then the Call of Duty series. They were Infinity uh. Ward founders, so they've got a long history of revolutionising the first-person shooter. No, no, destroying the first-person shooter, I think you're fine. Hey, Titanfall's pretty cool. Yeah, I've heard good things. Hey, the first anyway. Call of Duty was the first Call of Duty was really good, and let's face it, Modern Warfare was revolutionary at the time. You can't beat giant robots smashing each other. Two giant robots smashing each other. The the, the first two Medal of Honors were outstanding because they had those. I, I suppose it had a story where nothing else really had a story implemented like that. That and they did the setting really well. But uh... but let, let's talk about what we're really why we're discussing this. Let's let's ask who bought right, it. Oh yes. yeah, EA. <laughs> EA has bought Respawn for four hundred and fifty-five million US dollars. How wasn't it like three weeks ago that they they shut down Visceral? Oh my god! Yeah. So so here's what happened. The the gist of it is that there was an offer for Respawn from Nexon, who are massive, and EA didn't want to see him go because EA liked the IP, so EA needed to get the money from somewhere to make it affordable, so they cut loose one of the studios that they have, which were Visceral, and then they obviously bought out Respawn. But everybody else saw it in reverse. Uh, we all saw Visceral shut down, 
obviously I haven't got enough money to support these people. And then, you know, what was it, a week later, all of a sudden Respawn are bought out with all of this money that people were thinking was quite scarce because of what had happened with Visceral. But uh, but it was because Nexon were trying to move in on Respawn. And who wouldn't? So what you're saying is, is that another company was trying to make a move for Respawn, so EA ponied up the dough to get it done, is what you're saying? Well, EA had first refusal. Basically, what happened is, because of contracts, basically, anybody who offered a bid on Respawn... EA could turn around and go, we'll offer one pence more, and Respawn had to accept. Uh. And so that's basically along the lines of what happened. So EA didn't want to didn't want to 100% lose them, and the option was either have all of the tendrils cut off, and that's it, they're gone, or buy the company out from under the nose of people trying to outbid them. And that, that could have happened the day, Re- uh, the day Titanfall 2 came out. Somebody could have said, ha... Ah, well, I want to buy Respawn because I know that EA will be disappointed with these sales, but I will offer £100 to buy Respawn. And if it had all gone through the right and they'd said, you know what, I know that's a ridiculous offer, but legally you have to you know, have to consider that, then EA could have, saw, could have gone £101 and taken them on board. So that's, okay. that's what happened. Let me, let me, I have a question, though. Maybe I missed this in the mix of what you were saying. Where did EA get the money from to do this? I think EA had the money anyway, but I think so... the issue was that they had a budget for internal studios, and so they needed to cut one loose to bring another on board. That's still kind of, sh- <clears throat> for oh. lack of a term, crappy. Yeah, no, it it really is, and there were a lot of there was a lot of talented people at Visceral, including, as we discussed previously, Amy Henning. And a whole bunch of other people that we don't know the name of, but had obviously been, you know, picked to work there or had simply worked there for a long time. A lot of very talented people were cut loose because the entity of a developer and their IP needed to be brought into the fold. Well, if, 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 I'm going to just jump in here. Well, I still think it's it's a shameful thing that they did. I mean, there there's no way that you can paint this that it doesn't look good on them period and i they shut down one company and then suddenly magically had 400 billion dollars for another one it, i mean yes if they had you know policies and budgets and all that i'm sure on a very technical scale this all made sense to them but from the outside which is where we're all sitting here this looks messed up and that's a fact they canceled the game basically because it didn't have enough multiplayer aspects to it uh, they've picked up another studio that, let's be honest here, is only known for, I, I hadn't heard of them until Titanfall. I'm sure they've done a lot of the things and I'm, I'm sure they're a great studio, but I think what everyone's kind of afraid of at this point is that, yeah, let's, we're all counting down the time before it gets shut down by EA. We're all making bets. <laughs> let's be yeah. honest. The thing is the two, the two doctors from Bioware, uh, came out and a few other people have done so as well, uh, and have said, when you get bought out by a big company, the you know, of course your your studio is going to be shut down. It's either going to be turned into a brand or it's going to be shut down at some point because there's no point in keeping Team X and Team Y and Team Z together because that doesn't actually really help anyone. You need to be a collective entity. While it's nice... And this ties into what we said last week as well. While it's nice to go, great, we just bought the Happy Happy Wheels bus company. You know, that if you buy out the Happy Happy Wheels bus company and the, the Bad Angry Wheels bus company, at some point you're going to be moving drivers over from one company to the other and you're going to be bringing in new drivers. And there'll be a point where you've replaced every bus and every driver and there's no point in really having the brand. I, I see your point, and I, I get what you're saying, that it's part of a natural process of absolving and you know, kind of absorbing a, a company into your own. But I think there is something to be said about chemistry. I think there is something to be said about keeping people who work well together together because they do make great stuff when they are together. There's always going to be chemistry. And I think 
I don't, I think it's kind of, I, I see what, I, I, you're right. I mean, your point's fair enough. I just think that it kind of sucks because, yeah, because then all these people that had great chemistry together, all these people who worked together for years who know how to play off of each other are suddenly going to be absorbed into this massive corporation where they're just going to be lost and folded into the mix. I agree. I I completely agree. I mean, but independent developers lose big leads all the time. So, like, we can say you're under a publisher. Oh, no, the synergy is being shattered daily. When when they're first brought out by a publisher, yeah, obviously it's going to be hard transitioning from we are our own bosses to we have a boss that's occasionally calling us up to a meeting and it's hard. But as an independent company, you still have a turnover. It just may be slightly accelerated in those first few months when you're acquired by a big publisher. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate a bit too hard. No, I think you're bringing a very fair point, and I think you're kind of looking at this from a corporate standpoint. I, I think you have fair points. I think that though we're we're still talking about Electronic Arts here, and Electronic Arts has a bit of a reputation for. Buying companies and then immediately dissolving them and just getting rid of them—it's—it's they're a company killer. They don't—they don't keep companies around. They are the evil alliance. There was a point where that's what they were actually doing. They were buying out a—they're buying out a developer, and the developer was finishing off the project they were doing, and then that was it. They were gone. It notoriously happened with Pandemic, didn't it? I think they Mm. were—they were brought on board uh, with one game and. They got that out. Was it the saboteur? And then I think mercenaries too. They were just they they were they were gone before it hit the shelves, or it's the other way round. But they and and EA were doing a lot of backhanded business deals. They earned that nickname that Terry said for you know a good reason. They they saw their competitor using a third party to do something. They'd buy them out. They saw their competitor starting market research in a certain area. They'd open their own team up to try and compete. They were they were properly, you know, comedy capitalism right. expanding. It was it was right, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Uh, there was you know there was a good reason that they earned the kind of like most sinister company award or whatever it was. And that is a good question. I do want to ask: um, Was this a hostile takeover, or was this something mutual that they both agreed to? Because if it was mutual, then they really have no one to blame but themselves for taking the money and saying "screw it." If if I'm brutally honest, if I worked at Respawn and EA, who had published the only two games we had made uh, and had shown a lot of faith in us even though the first game didn't sell particularly well, and they said, you know what, do a, do a second game because this is a great idea, and the second game sell, didn't sell particularly well, and they said, you know what, we love this, so maybe we'll make a third. I'd probably be quite happy to receive further support from the people that had continued to allow us to develop our IP, even though it hadn't been as groundbreaking as anybody had expected, which is a shame because Titanfall had a lot of really cool ideas. Yep. So, Toby, Terry, any thoughts? Uh, you've been very far. It's a weird system of things. My my thoughts I gave to Dan the other day. I'm because I'm a very old school person, and I believe things like Call of Duty and games of that nature ruined the FPS genre. I couldn't really give two hoots. <laughs> All right, there you go. Well, you better when Titanfall 3 comes out now, because that's guaranteed. Uh, not before the as-yet-unreleased Star Wars game. That's true. They have secured whatever Star Wars game they're working on, and, you know, Wait, Titanfall. Wait, Visceral was doing a Star Wars game, weren't they? They were. It wasn't progressing very well, apparently. Yeah, Visceral was making a Star Wars game. No, it was going to be a single-player game, and EA don't like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. No way to slap microtransactions on it. Indeed, and Titanfall's perfect for it. That's why Titanfall, even though it sold like garbage, is getting another game because I know they can monetize the hell out of it. It's a good game, though. I mean, I mean, if they make a Titanfall game that's just basically reskinned for Star Wars, so it's like, oh yeah, just summon your AT. What's it called? ATAT. 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 Is that it? Yes. Ah, I know Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh and yes summon your atat and yes use your anti-atat weapon you know or whatever and hack the drones or the clones then you know and just totally reskinned titanfall then it's still going to be pretty cool because titanfall has a lot of awesome ideas uh i don't know if terry's played it i i assume he's already written it off but i've seen it being played i haven't played it myself my nephew's got it it's very cool because it distributes ai really well and so it always feels like you're making progress and it always feels like you're doing well which so many online shooters completely fail at yeah and i'm not a huge fan of first person shooters and even i kind of liked it and saw the lot of they have a lot of cool innovative ideas in the game See my big my biggest thing with with it is I I don't play online with other people so there there really wasn't much for it for me to go for there. Which uh, I think we should talk about PUBG next then for the next half hour. And no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Stop recording. Let's just just we'll go home. Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> Toby's here. You know he wants to discuss that. Come on. There's actually nothing to discuss for once. Oh wow! Really. Wait, there is. Oh, good there God. is. There were... Didn't you, didn't you see that Cry uh, Crytek's Warface uh, is receiving a new mode, uh, which will involve a hundred people dropped off oh an island? Oh God! Oh heavens! Yeah. Fortnite was bad enough. I I forgot the war. <laughs> I forgot the Warface was even a thing. Still, I honestly thought that Crytek had pretty much. I'm gone. so sorry, I mean, Terry. They, I shouldn't have said that. They the lost name. all of their studios, didn't they? So. But yeah, anyway. Let's move on quickly before we continue talking about PUBG. Yes. Let's move let's move on to another subject that I feel fairly strongly about. Um so the Xbone X released this week to weak fanfare. <laughs> Teraflops. 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 But it, the question was more about mid uh mid gen upgrades. And just what what your thoughts are on those? I know mine. <laughs> I know mine. I know mine is they're a bad idea. Stop it. Go away. I think they're a brilliant idea, and they need to keep doing it and stay here. <sighs> I, I think there's a very specific market for them. I don't think they're necessarily evil. Um, but I think there, it's a very niche, small market they're kind of aiming for. Not necessarily, they're not, they're, they can't be aiming for everybody again. That's insane. No, I mean, even Phil Spencer saw the Xbox One X said we, he doesn't expect them to sell a lot of them. It is for a very specific consumer. Right. So in, in that regard, as long as the mindset stays that way, that like, okay, we're going to put out a product and it's going to be perfect for everybody. And then later on, we might make an iteration that's for a specific group of people who love, you know, extremely high detail or have a ridiculous amount of money to spend or whatever have you. That's fine. I don't care. That's how I feel about it. I don't own a PlayStation 4 Pro. I don't plan on owning one. I don't own a 4K TV. I might own one eventually, but it doesn't really bother me. I don't need to see the pixels in the clouds that much. I don't really care. If you're more than five foot away from the TV, you won't see the difference anyway. In resolution. You might with the HDR lighting, things like that, but resolution-wise, you won't see the difference. If you're across the living room from your TV, it's going to make no difference to you whatsoever. I would have been more happy, because the thing is... My problem is with it is that they're trying to push 4K, but they're still not hitting 60 frames. Just stay at HD and push 60, or even higher than that. But most TVs can do 120 now. Frame rates are a hell of a lot more important than resolution. My opinion, he says, elbowing everyone out of the way, is that iterative leapfrogging design is good i think that when the xbox 360 launched and there was an arcade model and there was a premium model and then later they added the elite i think that was a really good idea because in stores it made it quite 
easy oh, to upselling sell. Upselling Dan? Upselling uh, Dan? Uh, is, he, is he being sarcastic? I can't tell. Because no, but he's, he's making a really pointless argument because they weren't iterative upgrades. They just had different amounts of storage. There was no difference but, in the hardware. No, no, no. But that's what I'm getting to. But it was something that differentiated them. And you could tell from the person, once you'd had that conversation with them, which one would suit them. Uh, so arcade would literally be like you're buying two games and that's this and that and this and that. And it's good to have that choice. I think if they keep releasing a new very powerful one every two years, then the the super hardcore audience will the super hardcore audience will obviously be renewing every two years, which will get Microsoft a little bit of money. And then when that gets a couple of years older and becomes the mid-range one, then are, they are, can... Are you saying that consoles should become phones? Uh, yes. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> that sounds I agree evil. With George. What, what do you mean? That right. is as evil. As, as long as the prices drop... As, as long as, long on, as the prices hang on, hang on. drop... Prices and, drop. The X phone, uh, the iPhone ten just came out as a grand. Prices yeah. do not drop. But the, the, I, I blame that on. I blame that specifically on Apple track, trapping people into that ecosystem. And I think that if if consoles align with PC hardware and how fast that turns over and how fast the prices of that drop, then I do think that the Xbox One X could be the worst console that they have available in five or six or seven years and they could be going right you buy a game on the i don't know xbox one z or something that's pretty unoriginal but whatever and it'll work on the z it'll look beautiful you can play it on the what or the what uh but it won't work on the xbox one the on the first xbox one we released because now blah 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 and so this would allow this would put control of the graphics and the visuals in the hand of the developers and so a developer could say right we're going to make something that looks really really good and it's going to run on this 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 and this and this and you know those those people that bought a console 12 years ago are going to have to upgrade which is no different than the current generational gap so if that can be regulated and if that can be if that can be you know done and implemented well i think that's good I think there's too many ways for this to slip and slide into chaos and into corporate greed. I think that I, yeah, I, I don't, people are going to treat if, if, if the gaming industry did turn the way of the phone, they did turn the way. I think if you, everybody immediately would go for Apple's method of doing things. They just charge ridiculous amounts of money. I don't think this is going to benefit anybody. I think it's just going to cause chaos I, I don't I don't see the benefit of this. I think people who buy consoles like the simplicity of consoles because they have to buy a one and done type of deal. They don't want to care about which model, what's in the graphics card, what's in the engine. They want a good machine right off the bat, done deal, let me play my games. I think that would just cause utter chaos. Yeah. It would also make the industry incredibly lazy. We know the industry doesn't like optimizing things particularly well at the moment anyway, and that will get even worse when they go, oh, just round the corner, there's a new box that's got more power, so we won't bother optimizing it, we'll just say it only works on that one. It's going to screw consumers over, split the consumer market right down the middle to the, to the rich and the poor, basically, and we've already seen it happen. Because Microsoft and Sony are not the first people to do this. Nintendo have done it multiple times before and they have always had issues where games do not work properly backwards. Pokemon Sun and Moon runs like garbage on an original 3DS, works fine on a new 3DS. That's an iterative upgrade which people don't understand fully and people are getting screwed over by it. And that's going to continue to happen if it happens in the console space. And I, but I, I, think, I, think what, I think Dan's idea, what I think he's trying to say, and I think it's not necessarily... The difference between the PC market and the phone market is that PC market is is 100% accessible. I can make my own PC. 
I can't make my own phone, therefore I cannot make, in this case, my own console. If I could make my own console the same way I make my own PC, then yes, that could possibly work with the reiterations every two years. But then, it, but that's putting the power in the consumer's hand that you would have to make all these parts available and this entire method for creating consoles black and white for people to be able to do on their own. Plus, I think it will also, sorry, I think it will also lead to the, uh, at the end of every console cycle's life, there's always something, some big classic that has only been able to make possible because that developer has that had that exact hardware for four or five years and they have got down to the bones of that thing and just pulled every little ounce of power out of it. If there's going to be another system out every 18 months or to two years, you're not going to see that. It's just going to be, you're never going to get to that level anymore. You compare an early PS3 game to a late early PS3 game, there's almost a generational difference there alone and it's the same hardware that will go away, developers will get lazy but they're not getting lazy when they're developing exclusively for the PC I don't get what you mean well, games that are exclusive to the PC aren't well you still see that kind of thing happen anyway like the like the aforementioned Crytek, which PCs in 2017 still can't play the original game properly, because it, it was built with theoretical future hardware in mind. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I mean that's 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 at that's at at, at the same time that is an amazing example, and it's also a bad example because it was like their first game. Like you look at you look at Crisis Three. It needed lower specs than Crisis One because they had learned how to optimize things by then. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I I, underst- I understand what you mean there. But but games that are PC exclusive, not that such a thing should necessarily exist, are built with a set of specs in mind, and then they optimize and they just run on it, run with it. Uh, I don't know. I th- I think in the in the PC space, if if a developer is going for a a PC game, be- because the ecosystem on the PC has been around for so long, it's they know they've got to op- kind of optimize it and get it running on lower end ma- machines. They can't just go to the next top end. And I don't think console developers will will get that at first. They'll just go, oh, there's more power. We'll use it. We'll use it. PC developers generally don't do that. They already know they've got to support a ton of stuff. Well, I mean, what is the what is the end game for consoles then? To I mean, go like, away. <laughs> I, I mean, a co- consoles would would go away if PCs were more modular, right? Because people like the accessibility of having a prefab. PC or, or equivalent of a prefab PC in a console. So if PCs could be broken down to four or five pieces and then, you know, plugged in and whatever bits and bobs are, just throw away this graphics card, plug in a new graphics card, all borders boxes plugged in, then that would be the equivalent of an iterative console design as well. Yeah. But that, but my my point is, I think consoles have lost that that difference now between the console and the PC. There was always a difference. You know, you had certain stuff on a PC, you had certain stuff on a console. The hardware com- was completely different and totally incompatible. But now it's not. The Xbox and the PS4 are a PC at their base hardware level. So everything's just becoming the same. The only outlier you've got now is the Switch, which actually does have a completely separate purpose in as much as it's a portable system that you can take with you. If the console still keep keep going down this generic route of we're basically a PC and a prefab box, what is the point of them? Then they're a victim of the push for graphics and visuals which is the same thing people blame PCs for. And I would definitely say that consoles, at least Sony and Microsoft at the minute, have been doing that for a good, you know, 
probably eight or so years, it's all been about the best visuals, which is the same thing that console gamers regularly say that PC gamers are obsessed with. If I could chime in here, uh, I think uh, I think this is an age-old argument. I think this is the argument of, you know, this could go on, this could go on forever. I think uh, the, there is something to be said the uh, the idea of kind of getting new hardware to people as fast as they can because technology is constantly improving. But and at the same time, you know, consoles don't necessarily update as often as possibly they, they could. So I think there's arguments for both sides. But I, my question is: Is anyone here buying an Xbox One X? No. No. Tell me. <laughs> okay, well, Pretty I don't plan on buying one either. So, <laughs> Well, actually, I don't know. My kids might want one, so we'll see what happens. To be honest, my, my last point as well, and it's it's something that, obviously, if, if you're an older gamer like, like I am, there is there is something to be said for that massive generational leap between systems. Going from a Super Nintendo to an N sixty four was a great feeling. Yeah, that's something that you're just not going to get anymore. True, but that that's also a complement to technology as well. I mean, you should the technology shouldn't necessarily work in these humongous gaps because that's not necessarily how technology actually works. Um, so I see what Dan's saying. I just think that it, it would lead too much to corporate greed. And, um, but again, I, I, I see your point. Indeed. But I mean, like I said, Sony and Microsoft are not the first people to do this. Nintendo have done it multiple times before. <laughs> and so the, D, the DS and the DSi, which had games that were meant to be compatible, but didn't work fully because they didn't have the DSi features. The 3DS to the new 3DS has got games that aren't compatible, and there's games that just simply don't work on a standard 3DS now as well. Monster Hunter being one of them, I think. So that, that's that's the worry is when it's you know people missing out after just two years and having to upgrade if if they want to play certain games. If they're gonna keep games compatible backwards, a, a few generations won't be too bad. But if you know, I think there is still gonna be the occasional game. Now we've seen the One X as well. I I can guarantee in less than a year we will see a game that doesn't run on the original Xbox One. Uh, I I think that's a little bit alarmist. I don't think that's true. No, I think right, no, this people is, would this flip out if that happened. No, but this is the thing. So originally Xbox said, no, everything's going to be compatible with the original Xbox One X. Then they came out a couple of months ago and said, mm, may not be the case. And that to me is worrying. Because if they if they do then start almost forcing a two year a two year upgrade cycle on consoles, I'm out completely. <laughs> well, again, I think you know I think that is the beautiful part between PC. The difference between PC and, and consoles is that you can have a you can reiterate your PC over and over again. You're not necessarily gear, you know older PCs might not run a game, but at least you can still try. Um, the the idea that a console couldn't run a game at all would really be really sucky indeed so uh, another one for you George I think as uh, Dan's had to just run off for uh, a bit of a family emergency so, so Starcraft 2 is gone or going free to play oh okay well oh so we're talking about BlizzCon now cool alright uh, yep, yeah there's, yeah, there's a lot we run out of time last week so there's, a, there's a lot that happened at BlizzCon not, not necessarily just Starcraft 2 but I'll, I will touch upon that briefly. Yeah, they released uh, officially the first entire campaign because there's three. There's Heart of the Swarm and then the Protoss one, which I can't remember his name for life of me for some reason. Basically, they released the entire first campaign of um, StarCraft for free. You can download it now. If you had the first one, you get the second one for free. And I, I don't know if it continues into the third one, but you get the point, though. Uh, and they're basically kind of opening up to everybody, letting everybody play uh, uh, Enjoy StarCraft 2, which is pretty sweet. StarCraft 2, great game, a lot of RTS players. One of the primary highlights, aside from all the new expansions on um, you know, World of Warcraft and uh, their, their card game Hearthstone, the thing I was most excited about um, was that we finally got an announcement for Vanilla WoW. Vanilla WoW is finally coming. They're finally making support for it. We're going to get to... Oh, they're going to start all vanilla servers again. Yes. 
No expansions, just vanilla That's WoW. Interesting. That is interesting. I could actually go and play that, to be honest. Yeah, and it's gotten so many people excited. I'm personally very excited because I there, there I miss old Warcraft. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do, and now they're finally going to officially support it. Yeah, yeah. Having official support is great because obviously I think we discussed it a few weeks back. There are tons and tons of uh, third party servers. That you can play on around the web, right? Yeah, and so the, and and they are massively populated as well. They have a lot of players. Well, so it's obviously something that is wanted. Yeah, and that the, there's a lot of kerfuffle, you know, in the gaming news about servers being shut down because they started reaching millions of players, and you know, there's a lot of problems that became of that. So now that they are, you know, doing it themselves, we don't have to worry about that. We all get to enjoy what we want, and it's just like the best news, in my opinion, out of BlizzCon this year. Is it all going to be included in your standard Warcraft subscription, or is it going to be segregated, or how's it how's it going to work? When you log in, do you go, oh, I want to play vanilla? I do believe it'll be just a dedicated server. Uh, I do believe it'll probably still be, probably, probably be subscription-based, uh, but there isn't any official details yet. All they've done is basically say, we're doing it, and no further details in that. Yeah, because the only issue I can see with it is if they try and do it completely separate. If you're a WoW player and you like you're playing the current one, but you also want to, you know, maybe dip back into vanilla, if you have to subscribe to two things, that might annoy people. I don't think they would do that. If if it was all built in and you just when you tell, open up WoW, you can go right click on vanilla or click on current or whatever, then yeah, that's that's all good. I mean, uh, well, I can see what you're saying, yeah, because technically they're two totally different kinds of programs. So I don't know. That's a good question. It that is a very actually good strong possibility because. Vanilla WoW is, is obviously very, very different from the new stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that is a possibility. Two different applications, possibly. Yeah, yeah, that different applications isn't the issue. It's just if it's if it's separate subscriptions, that would be my issue with it. Yeah, and that's what I was saying, because they are going to be kind of separate applications that, that actually could be something. that Maybe it'll be cheaper, though. That could be cool, too, because, you know, it's an older game. Maybe it'll be cheaper. So I would I would gladly play like you know eight bucks nine bucks to play Vanilla WoW every month, and yeah that'd be great for me. Yeah, that is certainly cool. I just want more Diablo. Give me more. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about this BlizzCon this year. At least personally, I felt aside from that one major announcement for Vanilla WoW, I felt like this this uh, this BlizzCon was certainly lacking. I mean, it kind of played to its its crowd it gave us more expansions more more of what people already love but i just didn't feel like they really did anything new this year uh which was kind of disappointing to me no big overwatch announcements or anything i think they announced a new character uh whose name i can't remember um moira i believe yep that's right yeah um and uh was there anything else i missed toby i think that's pretty much it the new character on the ptr I think that's about it for the most recent update. Yeah, so it was it was a cool BlizzCon because of the vanilla WoW announcement. But other than that, I mean, I'd have certainly liked a little bit something more, uh, maybe a new IP or just a, a sequel to Warcraft Three. For God's sakes, we've been waiting for years. Ah, uh, single player stuff. It doesn't make money, does it? They ain't gonna do that. But Warcraft Four would be amazing. I mean, we... yes, it, it, it more than likely would be. Yeah. I or, or just Diablo Four, just just do another Diablo. Uh, do. We had Diablo Three, what less than three years ago? They're not going to make another Diablo for a while. No, it weren't less than three years ago. It's older than that. That's at least five or six years old now. Aye, uh, but the expansion, the expansion was like three years ago, wasn't it? Well, they're still putting out things for the game as well. Like they put out the Necromancer recently, so I don't really. They're still putting out stuff for Diablo Three. I don't. I don't I think we'll likely see a, a Warcraft Four <laughs> because I want that. Yeah, no, it's just a shame because obviously last year at BlizzCon they had that that big tease. You had that like D four uh, dice that came in the little package that you got when you went there, and there was other things that referenced Diablo and Four, and and everyone was getting really excited, and then they just went, ah, all a joke. You're not getting Diablo Four, you goons. Here's a Necromancer. <laughs> Oh, I didn't hear about that. That's funny. But yeah, because they, they, they had a D4 dice in there, uh-huh. but it was it it was printed wrong, so all the fours were on one side. 
which isn't how a D4 obviously works. And yeah, it was it was a big big tease uh, for no payoff. Gotcha. That's funny. <laughs> so let's move on. Is is one that Dan Dan put in there, and it's it's just a general discussion. Um, I'm not sure how much Toby's going to be able to uh, add to this, but maybe it was something that he he grew up with. And we're just talking about. Um, so ten years ago was an absolutely huge, huge year for games. Uh, so in 2007, uh, we had things like the first Assassin's Creed, uh, the first Modern Warfare, uh, Crisis, Uncharted, Mass Effect, uh, Super Mario Galaxy came out that year as well, and we had the Orange Box. So things like Portal, Portal, and the ep- episode two of Half Life, uh, Stalker, Witcher, Bioshock. It was an absolutely brilliant year. Can you think of any other particular years, possibly, that had as many big games and maybe as many big starts to like, series as that? I didn't know Toby was 10 years old. <laughs> it's a very close to kept secret. Oh my god, you sound so mature for your age. Apparently it seems to happen every 10 years, not Toby being born. But, uh, <laughs> but like, a big, like bumper year i mean obviously there are a lot of other years where you had a lot of release the following year you had uh far cry 2 fallout 3 fable 3 and a bunch of other stuff as well just all cropped up that year and that was a really big bumper christmas but uh but yeah 2007 was definitely an exceptional year uh obviously halo 3 as well which was the first one on the 360 it was very much it was also the year that the PS3 launched in the UK as well, so so it was kind of the first year, at least in the UK. I know it obviously wasn't in other places where we had all of that gen on the market. wasn't Wasn't it the year that the Wii launched as well? That makes sense based on Galaxy launching. Possibly the Wii came out in November. Yeah, the Wii Galaxy, that was, Galaxy was... wasn't a launch title, was it? No, Galaxy came a while later. Zelda yeah. was the big launch title. Yeah, of course it was. Twilight Princess. But either way, it really was no. a... Was it Twilight Princess? Yeah, it was, because that came out on the GameCube as well. Yeah, because yeah. one was left-handed and one was right-handed. Yeah. Either way, it was... A, <laughs> obviously, at the time, we didn't know that Crisis was going to go on to do three, three games. We didn't know that Assassin's Creed was going to go on to do 745 games. We didn't know that... COD 4 Modern Warfare was going to result in the 4 being dropped and yeah, there being then becoming a yearly franchise because it wasn't a yearly franchise before then was it that was when no, it, it started wasn't. it wasn't that was pretty much the, the t- that was pretty much the year that yearly franchises started as well yeah because you got Uncharted there as well that well, that didn't become a yearly franchise but that went no, but quickly that was... but Assassin's Creed number 2 came out relatively quickly after the first yeah. one there was a bit of a break after Assassin's Creed 2 actually that's it and then there was definitely right. a break recently Halo Halo 3 after that they started squeezing out a Halo game almost every year because they yeah. brought in the Wars series and other ones as well uh, but the no, Orange Box the, the last thing that Valve ever did yeah uh, <laughs> Half-Life 2 Episode 2 obviously that they released a new one every year. Oh wait, and then, uh, but no, it was it was a really really big year for for the consoles. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Four was meant to release that year as well, so that would have been absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah, it got delayed till till the next year. Uh, but no, it was a, it was a real it was a real bumpy year, and obviously we saw a lot of. Uh, other titles fail and fall by the way, wayside and just disappear as well. I mean, no, oh, I yeah, notoriously, Medal of Honor. Uh, Medal of Honor released, I think it was Airborne that year, which was their last attempt at a World War Two one, and yeah, it just, it just fell completely flat because a couple of weeks later, Modern Warfare came out and that was it, kind of. That was that was pretty much the death of the World War Two. Uh, shooter or the World War shooter. You had uh, Shell Shock and a few others. I think a Brothers in Arms launched after as well. That, but none of them ever touched on, touched on what Modern Warfare did. Uh, and, which, and you say you, know, you say it happens every ten years. Obviously, this year World War Two has 
come back to COD. Isn't it? Which is weird. No one thought it was ever going to happen again. People were complaining two or three years back saying, why don't we go back to those now? I'm getting sick of Modern War. Actually, it's not even Modern War now because we've got laser beams and we're on the frigging moon. I, I think that's what the reason was. They went, oops, uh, we went too far forward. Let's yeah. go back. That's it. That's it. If we're, if we're talking about games that released a, a decade ago, you know, there's always Bioshock. Love Indeed, Bioshock. Yeah. Bioshock was revolutionary in its own way as well. It's sure. a shame that the other two has, have never got that same feeling again. Bioshock 2, I felt... It was alright, but it wasn't anywhere near as good as the first one. Well, it was about expanding the and, universe, you know. Yeah, and then Infinite. Infinite, again, is good, but it, it's just not, it hasn't got that magic that that first one did have. Agreed. Oh, WarioWare Smooth Moves also came out, which was is one of the best games that was ever made for the Wii. Uh, I, I love the WarioWare games. They are so good. Uh, there, there needs to be more games that are like that, more mini games, more more bishy bashy special games, and more Mario Party and more stuff like that. I can see War- a WarioWare game coming out on the Switch. I hope it just so. seems perfectly matched to it. You've got the motion controls, you've got the portability to take it anywhere. You know, it's it's just one of them things. It could become a big party game. I hope you're right. You know, if one two Switch was basically called WarioWare Switch, it probably would have sold gangbusters. <laughs> Agreed. I can I can definitely agree with you on that one. Because obviously, if you look at 1-2-Switch, a lot of the games in that look like they could be WarioWare games. Like the Milk and the Cow, and you know things like that. It's... Yeah, if they just had obnoxious noses, and funny moustaches, and odd noises, like bleh! Uh, then, yeah, it would have totally made it and been outstanding. Well, I mean, it, it did well anyway, didn't it? But yeah, it did. Be- it did better than I I expected it to. But now I suppose I'm not the average consumer that they were going for there. Moving around while playing video games. What kind of madness is this? Yeah, but here we are. Here we are. The only way that I will get moving playing video games is when I can have my Virtuix Omni and my VR headset and run around in Skyrim. I'd be as thin as a rake if I had that set up. Yeah, and now here we are talking about VR when 10 years ago we'd have laughed at anybody mentioning it. Yeah. That's the other thing Actually, as well, isn't we, it? We, well, let's have a little discussion about that. Why not? Yeah, it does. It is. It is weird that obviously, obviously, the first VR movement was like the mid nineties. Earlier than that, possibly because it was all Amiga powered stuff. So it would have been, it would have been early nineties when the uh, virtuality machines were in arcades and things like that. So that's taken a what a good a good, a good twenty five years to come to the forefront again. I mean, it's a bit I, crazy, crazy yeah, to think about. I mean, it, they didn't even attempt it in in the noughties, did they? Really? Well, they were ja- too... Jaguar were going to yeah. Atari. I mean, with the ja- they were they were toying with the Jaguar VR system, but that would have been god awful. I mean, it's strange that it just. I mean, I suppose three D was the big thing, though it wasn't two thousand seven. It was a couple of years later, uh, wasn't it? It might have even been the teens. But 3D became a big thing for a while, although that's most definitely gone away now that VR has become viable, even though obviously it's on the threshold. But Yeah, it's a shame. I was I was actually a big fan of 3D. I've got a 3D TV and I absolutely loved it. And obviously the 3DS is, is brilliant, but now I tend to turn the 3D off because I've got an old 3DS and it, the 3D is a bit rubbish on the original version. Meant to be better in the later iterations. But... But yeah, it's a, it's a shame. But I suppose in VR you've got full stereoscopic 3D anyway, so there's no real need to have a TV that does it anymore. That's fair. Do you know what else launched in 2007? Uh, probably, but I probably can't remember it. The B-Movie. So now every time we mention a game that was released in 2007, I'm going to play the B-Movie at twice the speed. 
no. That was a, no, that was a terrible meme. I'm glad that's gone. But... Really? Yeah, yeah, that was 2007 B movie. Wow. That is an old yeah. meme. I'm going <laughs> I to see know. that. The meme is new. Wow. <laughs> but yes, I think. Ten years old, I mean. Just fading out, talking about B movie. <laughs> no, anyway, so that is the end of the episode thirteen of the Big Boss Babble podcast. And uh, thank you to the guys that have joined me this week. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Yeah. No, I'm joking, bye. <laughs> <laughs>